This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Bite Size Business Breakfast. It is a Tuesday, 22nd of November and a big focus on aviation today. Let's kick off with Paul Griffiths, CEO of Dubai Airports, because their quarterly numbers are out and Paul joined us in the studio to share them this morning. Hint, they are strong. But the other aviation story we're talking about is this idea that commercial aircraft could go to just one, one only Pilot. Bloomberg reports that 40 countries around the world are pushing for that, not now, but by 2027. So getting the thoughts of various people on this. And Bernard Diffley is a former pilot. He now runs his own construction company, but he was a pilot for many, many years. And also Mark Hofmeyer, who joins us from Australia, where he's vice president at the Australian and International Pilots Association. All that to come. First up, though, here are some of our top stories. Let's look at this morning. We've got tech shares. We've got gaff tree smoothies. um, And we've got what I hasten to say could be a new section on the business breakfast, although I'm not entirely sure who we'd get to sponsor it, um, titled More Depressing News from the UK. Oh, lovely. So yesterday it was Christmas markets that were in trouble. Um, because of the European gas crisis. This morning, the headline I give you is UK restaurants going bankrupt at a faster rate than during COVID. Mm. Oh, why is that? Uh, Because of the cost of doing business. The fact that it's more than during COVID when you actually weren't open for large amounts of it and where you were, you could stick sort of one person every six and a half square metres is quite incredible. But there is what's being described by The Guardian this morning as a toxic mix of staff shortages, energy costs that are rising um, and a fall in the number of bookings, presumably as people worry about the cost of living and therefore the cost of eating out. It's a thing, isn't it? Uh, Closures in the sector up 60% over the 2021 to 22 period, which was, of course, COVID-y. I mean, there's a couple of things going on. One is facing restaurants the world over that food prices have risen. That's abated a little bit since March, since the start of the, the war in Ukraine. But nevertheless, they are elevated. But specific to the UK is the issue of Brexit and leaving the European Union and the fact that so many staff in restaurants were from the European Union. And the fact that they can no longer get work permits for the United Kingdom because the the UK has left the European Union is really driving up the price Mm. of labour. You know, if you look at restaurants here in Dubai and the UAE, they can hire from pretty much everywhere or anywhere. You know, you will if you've got a restaurant down in whether it's a posh one in DIFC or whether it's in a in a food court in Sharjah, you can hire whoever you want get them a work permit. Yeah, you've got to pay their accommodation. I mean, it's not it's not cheap, cheap, but you can hire who you want. If you're the same restaurateur in Birmingham, you just can't do that now. You can only hire British people. And that, the, 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 it's basic economics, 101. You drastically reduce the supply of anything and the price goes up. They have drastically reduced the supply of people to work in restaurants, whether it's in the kitchen or front of house, and therefore the price of that labour has gone up significantly. And if you're a restaurateur, neither of those things you can really do much about, can you? And we know that there's there's there's, there's changes afoot at the moment in the UK, uh, but the area that has been hit hardest, you're both right, is, is restaurants, specifically because front of house uh, and also 
uh, back of house in the kitchen, kitchen porters, kitchen um, uh, uh, commie chefs, etc., waiting staff. Ordinarily, these were people that were on short contracts over in the UK, uh, but had visas, were ability to travel, etc. And that industry depended heavily on that sector of the market. They don't have it at the moment. Some have been put into place. Um, the UK recently signing a new deal with a new visa deal with the Philippines. Um, and it's an interesting one as well, because it's to do, it's to do with, um, uh, how, do you, how do you say, it? experienced uh, handlers of, it's basically butchers. So they have done a deal to bring in or, or make a special visa for butchers from the Philippines uh, those with butcher's qualifications to move to the UK to work in abattoirs and other uh, butchery um, thresholds, etc., over in the UK. So, but that one's taken what? Um, when was Brexit? Five years ago? 2016. Seven years ago? No, five years ago. No, six years ago. Do I hear six? Yeah. I don't know <laughs> those. It's an auction. It's, it, it, it's extraordinary that it's, and I know that the pandemic got in the way, etc., but it's extraordinary it's taken that long to put these sort of new processes in place. And that's just a tiny little element of the food chain, excuse the pun, of, of staff that's needed at the moment. But um, I've got mates who run uh, restaurants uh, and food delivery services and uh, pop-ups over in the UK, and they are all suffering. And they are all saying exactly what you're saying, saying, you know what's so frustrating? He said, I've got a brilliant product. People love it. We're making really good food. And if I had it in Dubai, if I had it in the UAE, it would be absolutely booming. But I just can't afford to do it here. Yeah, and it's still, as you say, however many years after Brexit, um, a front page issue. I'm looking at uh, Rishi Sunak's comments to the CBI, um, Confederation of British Industry, um, where he has been speaking in Birmingham at their conference. Um, members of the CBI asking for more flexibility on exactly what you're saying, hiring, hiring foreign workers because uh, the UK, like elsewhere, has a tight labour market. Um, and uh, he's ruling out that Swiss-style deal um, with the uh, with the EU. And it's not just the labour as well for, for restaurants. You've got that double whammy of inflation that when food costs and the rest of it um, go up, they make the items on your menu more expensive. But the double whammy is if inflation's going up, everything else is more expensive and therefore your punters have left money to spend on the stuff that's getting more expensive. Yeah. And it's also supply chain as well. Um I never thought we'd get to the point that you could get something, you know, get to something as common and as basic as the chicken and egg. But that's the problem at the moment. Tesco yesterday uh, becoming the latest supermarket. Tesco, for those that don't know, is a massive supermarket over in the UK with obviously franchise and businesses here in the UA and other parts of the world. They've limited the number of boxes of eggs that customers can now buy. Uh, why? Because of the rising cost of eggs and dairy, which has seen substantial raises, rises in, in, in recent time. But also, um, as if we didn't need another problem, bird flu. It's the worst ever outbreak of bird flu in Europe uh, at the moment. Uh, and that is having a significant impact um, on uh, bird populations. Uh, all manufacturers, or manufacturers, uh, all keepers uh, of laying hens now have to uh, keep all of their flocks indoors you can't have any the interesting one on this one you can't uh, you won't notice it now because obviously there's a delay in the eggs but in a, in a matter of weeks you will not be able to buy um free range eggs here in the uk no 
there. In the UK. Well, probably here as well. I, mean, I don't know if you get it free. Can you get free range eggs here? Uh, ask me one on sport. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we should look at it. Let's look at the local egg market. Okay. Economics. Economics, very good. We could go and do a bit of research. We'll all go for an omelette afterwards, <laughs> shall we? This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. Big focus on all things aviation, and we couldn't have a chat about aviation without getting our next guest into that conversation. Paul Griffiths is the CEO of Dubai Airports. He's been kind enough to join us uh, here in the studio uh, with a set of numbers under lock and key. Uh, until now, that is, just 7.20 this morning, latest numbers out from Dubai Airports. Paul, good morning to you. Good morning, Tom. Uh, the facts and the figures in front of you, fair to say that they are exceeding expectations? I think it's fair to say that. We had 18.5 million passengers through DXB in Q3 in 2022. The most important part of that factor, though, is that that was higher than Q1 2020, which was 17.8 million. So we are officially back and bigger than pre-pandemic, which is great news, I think. It's an extraordinary achievement, isn't it, in a pretty sh- short period of time as well. I mean, the, 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 the rapidity of the, 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 the back-to-business model must have taken you aback and the rest of the team back a bit. Well, I think we obviously planned that the recovery would come and obviously we didn't know when and how steep that recovery would be but just in case we harnessed all the resources necessary for a full recovery just in case we were caught unawares and it was it was an economic proposition for us to be a bit cautious about needing that resource earlier than perhaps the initial projections were um, suggesting we needed them. But thank goodness we actually made that decision because otherwise, I think, like other airports around the world, we would be telling a very different story now. We were expecting that half-year boom uh, as people got back into the air, travelled, see loved ones as well. Q3 uh, has obviously delivered as well. Does this change forecast for the year full? It certainly does. We've now added another million passengers to our year forecast outturn, which is really good because what we're thinking now, it's uh, 64.3 million up from 62.8. So we do believe that actually that suggests we could be somewhere around 78 million next year, 87.4 in 24, and then up to 93.3 in 25, which is greater Uh, than we've ever seen before. Now, actually, I think they're fairly conservative, and I think we've had about six revisions, all in the upward direction of forecasts this year. So that may actually be the case for next year. I'm hopeful that by the end of next year, we will be back to over 7 million passengers a month, which is the sort of figures we were recording quite regularly before the pandemic. Goes without saying that airports love passengers, Paul. But lest we forget our dear friend Cargo as well, that was so integral to aviation during the pandemic. Um, uh, are the cargo numbers still at a good level at present? They're looking a little bit soft, which I think is reflecting the general trends in trading globally at the moment. And obviously, with the Far East and particularly China still having some difficulties, supply chains around the world are still under pressure. And we're seeing that in the cargo numbers. But the passenger numbers are obviously outweighing the uh, issues that we've got with cargo at the moment. And obviously, 
try getting on a flight at the moment. It's really rather tricky. Talk to me about, I mean, numbers are great. Numbers put smiles on your face and the team's face as well. Is the airport coping, though, with those numbers? Absolutely. I mean, our performance, which we watch very keenly, because let's face it, it's not all about volume. We want to make sure that every single customer that goes through the airport has a great experience. And one of the stats, I think, that really uh, brings this home, out of the 750,000 bags that we process in a typical month, we lose or miss route temporarily on average about 69, which is an error of, I think, 0.0009%, which is pretty good. But I feel so sorry and apologetic. So if any one of those 69 passengers is listening, I'm terribly sorry you've lost your bag, but that isn't the experience for most people. Yeah. 69. You take the 69 over what the uh, many more uh, that uh, might have lost theirs over the summer at other airports around the world. Uh, let's talk about uh, DWC if we can. Brandy made the valid point a little bit earlier on that well, DWC obviously seeing a rerouting of a number of uh, of those flights at the moment uh, and an uptick in Doha destinations. Absolutely. There seems to be something going on in Doha, which is fueling our traffic numbers. And we've got up to 120 flights in both directions at DWC at the moment, which is obviously an enormous fillet for the airport. We've actually had to go to what's called IATA Level 3 coordination, which is reserved normally for the busiest airports just for the duration of the World Cup. So it's going to be, you know, famine to feast and and possibly, you know, back to a light breakfast afterwards. Are the flights full? Uh, they're pretty full, yeah. The passenger terminal's been incredibly busy. We've got all of our food and beverage outlets trading. Retail's doing some very brisk numbers. So, actually, I think breezing people through the airport to and from the match um, seems to be going well so far, of course, though we're only on day three. No, it's good to hear because, obviously, a lot of predictions as to who would be going to Doha, etc. Obviously, those numbers bearing that one out. Quick one about collaboration, if I can, because you mentioned there D, uh, DWC, obviously at DXB as well. Again, one of these words that was a buzzword during the pandemic, collaboration, partnerships, joint ventures, etc., we talk Dubai airports, but we forget that there are so many different entities that uh, work within Dubai airports as well. Is collaboration key to this sort of smooth operations at the moment? It's absolutely key, because if you think about it, there are so many different entities responsible for small parts of the operation, but the customer actually sees the whole thing. And I think what we've tried to avoid is the feeling that each of those entities is operating like a tram line mm. and the poor customer has to bump their shopping trolley sideways across the tram lines. What we tried to do is make this a totally seamless experience by working together. And so far, we've been through, since the pandemic, six really major peak periods, but our frontline operations team have worked collaboratively magnificently, particularly with the airlines, with immigration, with customs and the police to make sure the customer experience we hope is second to none and we're always responsive to feedback to hopefully continue to improve. Forecasts up. Uh, we are, what, four weeks away from Christmas as well. Christmas period going to be a busy one? Oh, most definitely, yes. Uh, we've got a little chart that um, shows whether it's uh, red, amber or green. And we've had to invent a new colour, which is super red. Um, but we hope that the customer <laughs> service experience will not actually be reflective of the colour of our forecast chart. 
30 seconds left, but one of the other big talkers for us today. Would you get on a plane uh, in the knowledge that there's only one pilot flying it? I think it depends who that pilot is, actually. But I think statistically, what we've got to remember, it is now safer to get in a driverless car than it is to actually get in a taxi or drive yourself somewhere. So statistically, the technology is improving all the time. I don't think it'll be long before we get pilotless planes. And I was talking to one of the manufacturers who said pilotless planes with one engine is going to be the future. So let's see. Wow. We can change that poll, Deany. Forget one pilot. What about no pilots? They're done. <laughs> Paul, thank you so much indeed. Congratulations on those numbers. And a big thank you for joining us live in the studio this morning. Thank you, Tom. A big thanks to Paul Griffiths, the CEO of Dubai Airports. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Where we're considering the idea of single pilot planes. More than 40 countries asking the UN's aviation standards body to move towards single pilot passenger flights while the EU Aviation Safety Agency has also been looking at it and says it could happen within five years. But is it a good idea? We are asking one former pilot this morning who no longer has to answer to an airline what he thinks. Bernard Diffley. Bernard, good morning. Morning, Brandy. How are you doing? Um, what do you make you. of it? Well, it's It's inevitable. You know, it is inevitable. It is, the industry has been talking about this for years and years, as long as I can remember. And just caveat where I come from, you know, I flew for a decade and a half. I was an engineer before that, and I have worked in the financial side of it as well. And is it safe? I mean, that's the big question. Is it safe? Well, right now, if you take, if we went to the airport right now and jumped on an airplane and somebody said to me, you know, you're on A380 and there's one guy, one person flying it, is it safe? No. But in the future, because the technology, the airplane is designed, commercial airplanes as it sits at the moment are designed for two people. And the whole system, everything is designed for two people, two humans to be in the front. In the future, with the right development and the right uh, technology, yeah. by the time it gets to the fact that we go to the airport and one person is in the front of the, uh, the jet, it, it will be safe. Okay, so if technology makes it safe eventually though, Will it be a good idea? Two different questions. Yeah, but it's the same thing. It's not just technology. There's processes, there's standard operating procedures, there's infrastructure, there's all this, the back end. I mean, the fact that IKO are talking about it, and again, it, a lot of this is knee-jerk reaction to the fact that there's now a global pilot shortage. It, it, people are saying they'll see it within five years. I think you'll see probably jetliners running on something that isn't oil before you see... From a cost, from a cost analysis. So, you know, taking one person out of the cockpit is not going to save you as much money as not burning tons of oil, for example. So, um, is it a good idea? Yeah, if, I guess the question is, if we could do it, should we do it? That's a very difficult question to answer. That's a very difficult spot to be. Look, from, from my point of view and, and my background, um, I would say no, you know, it, there is nothing more reassuring on a, on a dark night in Western Africa in the storms than the person sitting to your right or to your left um, that you rely on. Um, or you know, going across the North Pole at night when a red light comes on. You know, you look to the person uh, beside you, which is a well-skilled, trained individual, and two heads are better than one. But that is using 
current systems, current technology has been developed. If we take that analogy again of me and you going to the airport and going on a flight, the most risky part of that journey from here to, we'll say, London, is the taxi. And that has been developed over decades. And to change that, you know, this isn't going to be two guys down the pub make this decision. It's going to be a very long process. Regulators get involved. There's air law. Annex 2 will have to be changed a little bit. But from the point of view, like, there is unmanned air vehicles now that are pretty much the same size as a, a jetliner. Would you get on them? That is the that is the six million dollar question. Regulation aside, what would need to happen to the world's aircraft fleet for for this to be enabled? Well, they'll, they'd have to change. I mean, you know, it would be the next generation, or maybe the generation after that. I mean, if you look at current backlogs, I think. Uh, Boeing's backlog is 4,200 and something airplanes. Airbus, relatively about the same. Uh, Boeing delivered, roughly speaking, about 400 airplanes this year. So if you divide that, that's 10 years worth of deliveries that's on the order books. Airbus have similar. Now, in saying that, if they developed a new version of a 710 or an A370 or something that had had one uh, one pilot, you know th- that could change quite quickly, but only in... The major in the big in the big leagues in the in the big airlines that can, that can afford them, um, and that'll be an insurance underwriter's headache after that to see where the where the risk cost analysis is. How fast does regulation move in the aviation space, or not? Mm, I mean, I care in general. The regulators are a bit like your old wise uncle who sits in a chair and doesn't really move very much, and you think he may be dead, but he is very wise and. There's a reason why they don't make decisions very quickly. There is, there is historical, you know, historical precedence. And in 1980, for example, just to give you a bit of background, um, there was a head of the FAA said that, historically said that, you know, twin jets will, oh, there will be a cold day in hell before twin jets fly across the Atlantic. By 1984, the 767 was doing it. You know, um, 1984, just to bring it back to the 80s, uh, Airbus launched the A320 program, fly-by-wire airplane. Everybody said, no way a computer's going to fly an airplane, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That'll never happen. By 1989, it was in the Air France fleet. You know, things do move. That sort of five, six-year cycle um, is historically how, how quick things move. So do you feel like the current calls are a reaction to the current pilot shortage or more than that? I think it's just a yes. Yes, is the answer. Um, uh, as training, as numbers, you know, the aviation industry is historically cyclical and has always been since the probably since the seventies. So this too shall pass, and we'll move on to something else. Uh, now, to, in the back end, you know, I'm, I'm without a doubt. There's always been rumours and have been for at least a decade that Airbus and Boeing have been very far along on the line of of uh, of a single pilot airplane. But, you know, we'll need to see one at the Dubai Air Show or the Paris Air Show or something like that before it becomes anywhere close to being a reality. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Speaking uh, to one former pilot, Bernard Diffley, we are going to be speaking um, to one of the international pilot bodies a little bit later in the show. And Richard has popped up an Instagram poll this morning uh, to get your thoughts as well. How would you feel um, about hopping into a 
passenger plane uh, with just one pilot rather than two. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Thanks so much for all your messages this morning about the suggestion that commercial jets could move to having just one pilot. Here's the headline on Bloomberg. Airlines push for lone pilot flights to cut costs despite safety fears. So many messages this morning and we've got Twitter and Instagram polls going. One of the people who got in touch was Patrick. Patrick Duruk, who's here in Dubai. Now, he spent nearly three decades with Emirates, former Belgian fighter pilot and now head of training at the T3 Aviation Academy. So you could say that he is qualified to comment on this story. He got in touch and this is what he had to say. Single pilot, in my view, will never happen. Why? If you, first of all, why do we have two pilots in the flight deck? Basic redundancy for many reasons, but one of the reasons is pilot incapacitation. So if one pilot is incapacitated, the other can take over and safely continue the flight and, and handle issues with the help of automation. It, uh, it has happened quite a few times in my career. Well, not that many, but a few times. Uh, you know, my co-pilot had some dodgy street food in Bangkok and had a food poisoning uh, during the flight. And basically, I was left on my own with the help of automation. No issue. But if you have a fully automated, safe system, then why do you need one pilot in the first place? So that's why, in my view, and, and many of my colleagues, of course, share my view in the industry, we will not move from two pilots to one pilot we will move eventually from two pilots to zero pilots. Patrick, thanks very much indeed for getting in touch. Let's get some more on this now. Mark Hoffmeyer is Vice President at the Australian and International Pilots Association. He is a pilot himself and he joins us now on the line from Adelaide, Australia. Thanks very much indeed for being with us, Mark. All right, thanks for having me. What's your view? One pilot? I know I share the concerns of the uh, your previous caller. Um, Airline, airline aircraft need two well-rested, well-trained pilots at all times. As, uh, as we said before, redundancy is key. There are two engines on an aeroplane. Uh, if you showed up at an airport and there was only one engine, again, you would be concerned because of a lack of redundancy. I think a lot of people have a misunderstanding about what the automated systems do. They still rely on inputs from pilots. They still require the pilots to manage the situation. And quite frankly... Uh, if you were to go down to one pilot, I would not be putting my family on that aircraft. So the technology is so good now, Mark, is it not, that these planes can fly themselves, they can take off and they can land themselves, as I understand it, but I'm not a pilot. Is that actually true, that they can not only fly themselves, but they can take off and land themselves? I think there's a misunderstanding. There's a perception that when the autopilot effectively, people, I think, view it as almost having artificial intelligence, that it can actually think for itself. It, yes, it, they, can, they can land by themselves, but again, one of the interesting things is when they do, the um, monitoring required by the pilots is very intense because if the system starts to fail, then the pilots need to be able to take over. Um, but one of the things I would say to you is that when we're up in the air, if, if for example, there's a thunderstorm ahead of the aircraft, um, the pilots use the autopilot to still go around that storm. If you need to climb for better fuel economy, it's the pilots that make the decision and then they use the automatics to change the level. The decisions are made by the pilots. So the thing is, whilst the automatics effectively um, allow you to not have to hold the controls for, for, for hours on end, 
It's the pilots that still make the decisions, which, as I said, is why you want well-trained, well-rested pilots um, doing that job. And if, as I said, you know, one of you happens to uh, you know, be incapacitated or whatever the issue is, I mean, the example I'll give you is a depressurisation. If for some reason the cabin loses pressure and one of you doesn't get your um, oxygen mask on properly, um, you know, the other one might be there to save the day. You just need two pilots for redundancy. Well, let, I don't disagree with you, but just for the sake of argument, let me put it to this. You are with the Australian and International Pilots Association. Turkeys don't vote for Christmas. Is this simply pilots being Luddites and, and failing to accept that the technology is so good now that one pilot is OK? But because you're obviously you're the Pilots Association, I, I'm not going to vote for fewer radio presenters on radio shows as well, Mark. Is there an element of that? No, there's not. Um, you know, my attitude is pilots, um, our primary focus is to operate aircraft safely. Our, our focus is to ensure that um, the people that travel on our aeroplanes get to the other end safely. So, no, uh, my interest is in making sure that the safety of the operation of any airline isn't compromised um, by this decision. Uh, so my attitude is that safety standards are compromised when you go from two pilots to one pilot. Um, you may, or people may label us Luddites, but uh, I'm staunchly in support and will never walk away from the fact that our job is to protect the safety of the various airlines that our pilots work for. Mark, really appreciate your time this morning. Thanks for joining us. Mark Hoffmeyer, Vice President at the Australian and International Pilots Association, weighing in on this debate. It, it looks like most people who are listening to us agree with Mark and agree with Patrick. If we look at the polls that we're running this morning, 80% on Instagram say no, they would not get on a flight if it was just one pilot. 64% on Twitter saying the same thing. I don't know. I think I would. I think I'd trust the tech. Um, I mean, it's easy to say that sitting here, would I actually put my kids on a flight to Mumbai or London with just one pilot? That, that's a that's another stretch. But sitting here now, I feel that I would. It's the evolution of flight, isn't it? Um, we we were talking a little bit earlier on that you know times were when you had a five man crew up front in the cockpit, um, uh, including navigators, engineers, and others. Um, that's been narrowed down to two now because you know what, automation and technology take care of navigation. They get you from A to B. And there's a reason why we don't have an engineer on the plane to work out whether that's a good thing or a bad thing these days. Uh, yeah, something seems to have fallen off the back. All right, I'll go and fix it, shall I? Uh, but they don't, you don't have an engineer on the, on the flight because all that's taken care of before and after. That's the, the, the due diligence. And therefore, that has been the evolution of flight crews. They get smaller and smaller. Um, so is this not the next evolution? You know, we talk about the, the extraordinary safety of aviation compared to other modes of transport, as all of our speakers have been talking about today. We talk about the technology, uh, the predictive technology that now can go into place. Yeah, I know there's always going to be that, what, 0.1% element of chance uh, and surprise. Uh, and, and of course, ill health, as was mentioned there. But yeah, I'm with the technology here. I think it, it's it's only a matter of time before... We're down to one. Not quite sure about the autonomous flights just yet. Maybe for smaller planes, but certainly not for the bigger ones, the 400 people at the back. 
Chris Kempis is head of flight operations at Cathay Pacific. He told the IATA safety conference recently, single pilot operations is the unavoidable challenge, citing aviation's history of safely reducing cockpit crew levels via automation. But he says this, it is many, many times more complex than going from three to cr- three crew to two crew, going from two crew to one crew. It is a different ballgame. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.